I'm interested in helping inspire and encourage happiness at work. And I think it really does come down to having a lifestyle and a work style that you are happy in. Figuring that out as a team, as a business, as an organization, I don't know. Maybe I just see too much misery around. I just want people to be happy. Human, the designer. Hello, and welcome to the podcast Human, the designer, a show where we explore the human behind the professional, what makes them passionate about the work, and what drives them to become better. With you is your host, Angelos. And I am your other host, Eve. And today we will be welcoming another guest to the show, and we're excited as always. She is an experienced designer, learning leader, and educator. With nearly two decades experience working in the design industry, she can now be found working with some of the world's leading schools, as well as helping corporate companies become learning organizations through co-designing internal processes and programs. She has been building and leading distributed teams since 2009. More recently, she's been helping individuals and teams digitize and digitalize their ways of working through learning, design, and facilitation, leadership coaching, and designing corporate training programs. Her mission is to continue to inspire happiness at work. People, please give a warm welcome to Jenny Thelin. Yay! Yay! Welcome. Hey! Oh, my God. Hi, it's really nice to be here. Nice to have you, Jenny. It's really nice to have you here. And you're joining us from kind of close by, right? We're, we're in Helsinki, and you are in? Stockholm, Sweden. Stockholm, nice. Yes. What's the weather like there? It has been a very gloomy morning for us, but uh, but now I can see sun. So We have glorious sunshine today. It's actually uh -huh. the warm weather has returned uh, just for a little tease nice. before the, the big darkness arrives. Yes. So, so after this, I'm going to get out there as soon as possible and get some D-vitamin. It's a good idea. <laughs> yeah, so you're around a similar height than we are, I'm guessing. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. So hopefully we can uh, go out and sunbathe together later on. <laughs> <laughs> we know exactly what you mean with the darkness here. So, <laughs> Hey, Jenny, so what's your personal origin story in the world of design? Wow. Uh, well, uh, I started off when I was one month old. We moved to Japan. Um, and oh. uh, since then... I've been actually uh, traveling the world my whole childhood. So my father is a retired uh, diplomat and um, major general. Mm -hmm. And together with my, my father and my mother, um, I ended up moving, you know, around every three years or so. Uh, mm. And my brother was with us as well. And then he eventually moved to Sweden. And I continued that journey and ended up in the UK. Uh, where, where I basically my sort of adult life kicked in properly. But I would say tracing back my creativity um, has mostly been about meeting different people and different cultures. Mm -hmm. Because growing up as a, as a diplomat's daughter, you know, I got the chance to meet quite a lot of different kind of people. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and every time I did so, what was really interesting was my, my mother would come up to me and she would say, Jenny, do you know who that is? I have no idea. It's just some man. <laughs> and it would have been, you know, a famous politician or mm. an, an actor or somebody. And it kind of, it got me really curious because, because of that, I always thought that every single person had this like special secret superpower that they, they had <laughs> something more than what I just saw. Yeah. And from, from that in each country and each school, because I went to quite a few, Um, building this um, knowledge and capacity of meeting new people and very, very quickly understanding their culture and, and trying to find my place in it. I think that that's probably the most origin-like uh, mm, in, in yeah. my background, yeah. You were uh, empathetic by need, like a necessity in a way, <laughs> right? Like because you just have to blend, not blend in, but perhaps like uh, interact with so many different cultures and uh, context could change I guess, dramatically as well, depending on the cultures. Of yes, 
um, it was a lot of it, you know, um, and it had to happen very quickly yeah. um, because I knew uh, consciously and subconsciously that I, I only have a limited period of time. And uh, it really showed in my sort of teenage years. I spent the last uh, three of my teenage years in Istanbul in Turkey. Mm -hmm. And uh, most of my friends were actually locals. You know, it wasn't necessarily the international school, which had its own plethora yeah, yeah. of different types of individuals. But I was very interested in um, in the locals and yep. in actually living where I was living, not, yeah. not in a sheltered bubble at a <laughs> national school. Mm -hmm, yeah. mm -hmm. I can understand where you're coming from, not as much as what you've been through. But at four, I, I moved to Switzerland and went to an international school there. And I totally agree with the whole isolated experience of mm. just staying within your international school friends and things. But yeah, uh, so, so you know the term third culture kid? Yep, that's that's who I am. <laughs> I've got a, I've got quite a few different third cultures, though. So it's mm. like multi third culture kid. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. I actually, I actually got in trouble for it once. It was in middle school, and it was in Vienna. And the one, of, the the curator at the school invited myself and my my parents in, and he was very concerned that my social circle was more outside the school than in the school. And it was really interesting mm. because from their perspective, if I hung out with my classmates, then they were more aware that I would be doing my homework on time yeah. and like being part mm -hmm. of that community. So there are different sides to it. Yeah. But uh, but I think that's also why like I, I really like being part of a lot of different communities. Like I mm -hmm. like to to do that. And I think that's come from that being sort of ingrained in, in my childhood. Yeah. So you've been also exposed to many, many languages, of course, in that sense. Yes. Yes. And actually, I'm uh, Swedish, um, yeah. but I, I, you know, I would go to Sweden every summer. Um, but in terms of the language, uh, I was told recently, I can send you a, a picture of it. Actually, I think I've got one. Um, when I was six, uh, we were living in Rome in Italy, mm -hmm. and I pretty much knew Italian, like enough to get by, you know, six year old mm -hmm. just picks yeah. everything up. My school was in English and I had English down. But I was so upset that I, I wasn't learning Swedish at the same pace that I would um, go into the bathroom and sit on the toilet and read Swedish books out loud to myself. Mm -hmm. So I had my own little classroom. Wow. <laughs> because, you know, I, I would only really practice at home and, and mm. during the summertime. Yeah, 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 yeah. Moving to Sweden then, which I did um, seven years ago permanently, uh, I had never worked in Swedish. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and that, that whole idea of what are those terms? Oh my, uh, mm -hmm. I know the English ones, but yeah. But if you, if you, if you say the English ones here, you just cool. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it took a great deal of practice. <laughs> so how much of a cultural shock was to go back to your home country after a long time? Uh, it's a really interesting question. I, I think because uh, one of the things that that um, I noticed was when I lived in the UK, um, I was known as the Swedish designer, the Swedish art director. I, I, I sort of impersonated this, this brand of being blonde, blue eyed, all the rest of it. When I came to Sweden, I realized it was the exact opposite. You know, I was so not Swedish. <laughs> well, just as much of an expat as, as anybody else. Mm -hmm. And actually part of my sort of strategy to sort of infiltrate Sweden, uh, the market, um, it worked really well because out of coincidence, uh, somebody nominated me to have the Twitter account at Sweden. So be one of the curators mm -hmm. of Sweden. Wow, okay. So I did that for a week. Uh, and uh, so for my friends in the UK, it was like, you know, Jenny moves to Sweden. Jenny becomes a Sweden. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and then after that, like I did, I did a couple of events, which I, I branded. Uh, one was like a Swedish production. It was all about Swedish production um, agencies. Mm -hmm. And then I, um, I ended up on a board uh, for Design Sweden, which is this um, yeah. organization to support designers. So I kind of, I've, I got the word Sweden in everywhere to try and help myself because I was still in a very, very privileged place of being Swedish and knowing the language. Mm -hmm. because of my toilet training oh, yeah um worked out yeah. <laughs> so you know i had i had that 
so culture shock not so much it was more how am i going to how, how am i going to work here hmm. yeah what about the uh, working culture so you worked in the uk for quite many years before and then you moved to sweden and uh, is it a lot different culture work-wise so uh because so the majority of the time i spent in the uk and i lived there for about 14 years mm-hmm. um i worked agency side Uh, and that was insane you know I, I can't believe how much I've designed after four pints at lunchtime it was really quite nuts um okay. and in Sweden that that culture doesn't like the pub culture doesn't really exist um, mm. at all yeah um but so that was agency and then I started my own business um my first business together with um, an Australian friend and it was very much like we don't really know what this is um, it didn't have a very clear, The business strategy and eventually it changed into a different form but mm-hmm. that came with me to mm-hmm. Stockholm it was, it was more difficult to explain this sort of crazy chaotic creative experiential company that does like everything so mm. part of the cultural work cultural move was okay it's not going to be called soapbox and sons anymore because no one understands that so I know. Hi, my name is Jenny Thielen. I work at Studio Thielen Consulting. I'm a consultant. And they're like, oh, we understand. Yeah. <laughs> so, so it was kind of like to sort of de-crazy a lot of the stuff that I was doing in the UK and actually, yeah. I guess, professionalizing it like mm-hmm. traditionally to some degree. Um, but then I'm still doing the same work. It's just, it was just a different positioning. Mm. I was just wondering about just going back a little bit, uh, step back towards the your your youth, let's say. so language culture uh, needing to empathize with others because you're constantly changing place you're constantly changing faces you have to adapt quickly quickly you know and friends come in and out all the time i was also wondering from that creative standpoint what what were things that kept you going or just were fun you know did you get into drawing a lot uh, was it music Um, did you organize events? What was your creative outlet um, as a kid? As a kid, great question. Um, so as a kid, it was it was very much the the people that that I played with um, yeah. and hung around with as an adult as well. Um, but I, I did start. I my first year of university was actually at Istanbul Bosphorus University, uh, and I did half of my classes were uh, applied arts and mm-hmm. painting, but specifically three um, D, but drawing yeah. uh, with a mm. Turkish comic book illustrator called Galip Tekin, uh, who's one of the most famous okay. in Turkey. Yeah. And he didn't speak English, and my Turkish was rocky. Um, but we really communicated through the pencil, and it was really interesting mm. to have someone direct you through drawing. Yeah. Um, and and I really really liked that, and that kind of made me think, you know, you, you can really collaborate with anybody. Language or culture shouldn't really be a, a barrier. Mm-hmm. Um, and I really enjoyed that. But I would say um, it wasn't until when I was sitting. In my first, uh, I think it was a middleweight designer at that point, um, I really noticed the struggle that my other fellow creatives had with expressing themselves. They didn't yeah. have an outlet to express themselves. And everybody stayed in their jobs because it was around the financial crisis, 2010-ish. Mm-hmm. And that's when I started this thing on the side where I wanted to give a platform for my creative friends to begin with to express themselves and through doing the first show was actually all about culture it was called um alienation the art of blending in (laughs) Uh, and it was based on a book from 1946 by an author called george mikesh Mm -hmm. who wrote about moving to the UK, uh, and then getting stuck. <laughs> and yeah. it's very funny. It's a very, very funny book. And I gave that book as a brief to a whole bunch of artists. Uh, and we did a, a big um, exhibition. And that exhibition, you know, it got featured in like BBC Russia and like really random places, which was amazing. Nice. Um, but I thought, you know, this is, you know, this is something that I really want to do. And then after that, um, I did the world's first lolcat exhibition so we did a an exhibition all about cat memes 
Yeah. Nice. Which also got quite a lot of uh, fun uh, media attention. And if I got the time, I got a little, little PR story uh, on that. That's actually quite amusing. Sure. Um, we had uh, a, a very serious art critic called Tom Peck from <laughs> The Independent. And he wanted to come and review this show. Bearing in mind, this show was pretty much a joke like the whole thing was a joke mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. um and he came and he reviewed it and we got the paper on the saturday and we got this full page spread in color with lots of it, pictures and images so you know the artists were so happy about that um but he slated the show Oy, like, oy, oy. not many lols at lol cat and he was just being <laughs> really awful and he basically reviewed it as if it's something that he would have gone to see at the tate yeah so i i took that article and i i sent it out everywhere anyway it's like all prs good pr sent it out everywhere they're talking about us <laughs> yeah exactly and they're talking about us just don't read it um <laughs> but then the lol cat community started sending me memes of him as grumpy cat <laughs> so i got like 20 30 grumpy cat memes of tom peck and i did a blog post and i posted it and sent it to him and i said thank you for all the lols that you've brought the show mm -hmm. oy, oy, oy. same day his boss calls me the editor calls me from the independent and says would you mind if we publish the memes of our journalist in next week's <laughs> paper Oh and I'm like, Lord. you're kidding me. I was like, yes, of course. Oh and then yes. he, he writes a new piece. It's called How to Be uh, How It Feels to Be Savaged by the Lol Cat Community. And he apologizes. <laughs> uh, actually, he apologizes because the whole thing was in aid of Batsy Dogs and Cats Home. And you cannot, yeah. you know, escape that from the whole thing. But it was yeah. it was so funny. And and then we we framed that article and put it in the exhibition. So it was yeah. really this like it was so much fun. And after that, it's, it's like, very, very oh, meta. Yeah. Very, very, very. So that that's where it's sort of a lot of the sort of community-based um sort of art and design on the side stuff, passion stuff uh, started popping up. And like, we're not going to go there probably, but I mean, what is art, right? Like it's something that has to invoke feelings to you. And like it invoked feelings of anger to him and like a protectiveness and kind of like a activism for the Absolutely. community. And, <laughs> and, and it worked. We, we had a, we had a, um, a researcher flew in to be a, like a keynote at the opening. Mm. Uh, and she uh, she wrote her master's dissertation on lolcat speak. <laughs> mm, okay, cool. It's a way of communicating yeah. um, cat memes, and it was you know mm -hmm. so there was some serious undertones. But yeah, it was it's just really it's it's fascinating to see how many people you know would flock to something like that. I mean, if if you look at the serious side of things of that. Uh, humor is a very important part that's very often overlooked mm. in a lot of stuff that we do. Yeah. And it's when you see two presentations and one has humor and the other one doesn't, it can make such a big difference for, of, of impacting you and what you remember as, a, as an audience member. And yeah, so I, I can imagine that the whole idea of the low cut yep. you know, community is that very uh, nuanced difference in our world that, that keeps us being happy as well. And yeah, you can keep on going about that kind of thing, probably. <laughs> Absolutely. And also, you know, every unique community or every sort of niche is the right word, niche community, <laughs> have their own language. Um, and yeah. one of the things that, that Kate brought up um, in her talk was a lot of when you work at a big corporate uh, company, you know, a lot of people are scared to email other people what they feel. Or, or just general yeah. communication. But if they have an, an uh, innate understanding of that other person and can send a lolcat meme that has that implied, then they're talking about it. Yes. Anyway, lolcats, that was fun. <laughs> wow, that's, that's amazing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, very good story. So was it like during your studies or like when did you started seeing yourself as a designer? Like, okay, this is what I want to do. Like, this is uh, what I want to be. Mm. 
uh, paid for or, or you know it's going to be my professional outlet as well i would say there's uh two moments of time uh the first one was when i when i started uh, my university degree i did a ba in what was called design studies um which mm-hmm. was a really nice ba because essentially you would design your own education by through the first year a lot of it was um courses you had to take but by the mm-hmm. end you know 70% were specialized courses that you yourself sort of curated to get the best out of the the mm-hmm. education and i was set on being like the best branding designer renowned at that yeah. point i wanted to work with graphic design i was extremely interested in typography um yeah. i wrote my dissertation on that you know i was very sort of that's what i want to do mm-hmm. and i went through the motions you know i started as a graduate designer at interbrand and then i went to another place as a junior designer and then i went a middle middleweight designer and then a senior designer and then around 2013 2012 2013 um because i think it was partly because i was so zealous in it and i knew how much it takes in practice mm-hmm. to have a craft job um my whole body broke down and i got what was what they referred to was an extreme version of a uh, repetitive strain injury it was called work related upper body disorder mm-hmm. and it basically meant i couldn't use okay. my hands anymore and my arms holy yes so the computer broke me <laughs> um and i was on sick leave for about 9 months and during that process i was actually i wasn't sitting still i was trying to talk to other people about this problem and i started this like um i called it the repetitive brain industry because i thought as designers yeah. surely this is one of the most prevalent problems that we face on a personal level so what can we do about them uh and i interviewed some ergonomics specialists i i yeah. spoke to people um everything from um uh, I spoke to Neville Brody about it and he's had RSI before and you know I realized everyone's this is an issue yep yeah. so that's when I had to turn my portfolio around because I knew I cannot I cannot continue doing this anymore yeah. and my last employment was as a, a senior art director in advertising so I went from integrated design to advertising and I I was really lucky that I had had when i was working as a graphic designer i got to be part of the whole process you know i was collaborating with the planners with the writers with yeah. the digital designers who were in a corner you know over there mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um so i could instead of having my portfolio focused on the craft i could flip it and focus it on the concept and on the art direction and so i basically you know went out and said i'm a I, i'm a senior art director in advertising uh made myself believe that and got a job doing that. Yeah. And then that was around the time when Lolcat was happening and all, all these other things were happening. That's when I decided I'm not going to do craft anymore. Mm-hmm. Not, you know, to the extent. Um yeah. so from then on, I always build teams with a designer I work together with graphic designers 90% of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's when I became a different kind of designer. Yeah. So in the beginning it was very focused. It's graphic design, it's branding, it's identities. I was the pitch girl, you know. Yeah. And after that it became so much more holistic and depending on the project i would dip in so in some project yes i did do some graphic design work in other project i was facilitating or being a project manager and now it's just this fluid thing um then it's gone into education and learning design and and, and all that stuff so yeah. it's interesting how your your body kind of decides for you yeah. you need to be game and reposition yourself along with it yeah. that makes me wonder so you you had this crazy thing happening then with a repetitive strain injury that changed mm-hmm. everything and now you're more kind of like the person managing how those things work that you were doing before how do you make sure that the people that are doing that craft work don't get into that situation what mm. do you tell them how do you guide them to make sure that they don't get there and you know we uh, we spend a lot of time getting to know one another mm-hmm. um and i have worked with um for many many years i worked with a designer who actually he hung upside down for 10 minutes every day like batman um in this yeah. thing because he had back problems and i think like by talking about it and normalizing the fact that we all yeah. were also getting older but but we all have issues and being transparent about it mm. that's how i manage it 
health is number one, yeah. like no matter what as well. And that's something that I say to, to both my collaborators and my clients. Yeah. Um, I'm very, very open with it because there's no point in doing what you love if you don't have the energy or capacity yep. to do it. Yeah. Like this culture is so artificial in a way that tells you to not bring your uh, personal life at work. As if if you, let's say, have a fight at home or if your kid is uh, sick, for example, that really doesn't affect you when you uh, clock out of the house and you go to, to the office, for example. And even more so now that you are in that same home, perhaps, that the kid mm. is or, or your family is and so on. I, I just wonder, like, where did it come from? Because uh, most of the people are these people who have family at home and like uh, I don't believe that someone can just switch off brains and say like okay now I'm the professional so like everything mm -hmm. else is not in my mind anymore when I talk about it I look at it as you know you can be personal which is amazing professional but you can also be private you know there's there's three there's there's yeah. personal private and professional and for me you know every team and every every person that I work with my professionalism is in being personal yeah Mm -hmm. That's one of my uh, ways to open up my sort of social social arena. Um, there's some great research. If you're familiar, are you familiar with the Johari window? Nope. Have you heard of that before? Nope. It basically it's it's like a um, a quadrant mm -hmm. with four boxes, um, and it basically it's a matrix of mapping out what you know about yourself that nobody else knows, mm -hmm. what other people know about you that you don't know. And the conclusion of it is that <laughs> the more open and personal and social you are, the more you're going to learn about yourself, about things that you don't know about yourself. Yeah. And that's to me, is really fascinating because yeah. if you go in with this facade, you, you're not open to learning anything new about yourself, yeah. let alone other people. Yeah, that's a very good point. Of course, if people decide not to share stuff of their life, that's their choice. Absolutely. But I think like uh, many people just do not do the effort to understand where someone else is coming from. Absolutely. And, you know, and that's where a lot of the work that I do now is actually teaching active listening, you know, all these sort of soft skills. But I wanted to tell you a story mm -hmm. in like the Swedish version of like the Daily Mail. So it wasn't a very trusted source, but, but uh, there was this new piece uh, yesterday or the day before my husband sent it to me and um, apparently mm -hmm. the police was called because uh, you know now people are coming back to the office and there had been a fight <laughs> between two co-workers because one of them was late and it ended up that they were throwing fruit at each other mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so it's just like <laughs> Workers return to work throwing bananas. <laughs> mm. Just like people have forgotten how to do human. Things have changed. <laughs> Things have changed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I saw a video yesterday and there was like a, the kid was taking the parent to work and, and the kid was like, it's okay. I'm going to come and pick you up exactly. <laughs> at five o'clock. <laughs> I've seen some fun videos online where people are like really making a comedy sketch out of going back to work and where somebody's still in their PJs at work. It's like, well, but yeah, but talking about that as well, like I, I have loved that. You know, I, I've loved sitting in these Zoom meetings with, you know, cats walking in front of the camera. And actually, my cat is a is a feature often. <laughs> yes, we just saw your cat. Oh. <laughs> Um, I've, I've turned my, uh, my, my own video off, so I'm not distracted by the cat. <laughs> no, but I, I really like that aspect. You know, we've, we have visited uh, our colleagues um, and coworkers at home, which, you know, we don't, we don't tend to do. We tend to have this shared space somewhere else that is designed for us in a specific way. Most of the time we haven't been part of that, how that's designed. Whereas now we, we really sort of had this beautiful door knocking um, couple of years. Yeah. There's two ways to see it. Like either we're just all stuck in boxes or there's tiny windows into other people's worlds. Both of the perspectives are, tr are true, of course. We, we need both of face-to-face -face and we, we also need to allow yeah. for not face-to-face -face as well, depending on also, you know, how people feel. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've just had my first week of meeting people in real life. Um, and, and bearing in mind, like when the pandemic hit, uh, I had already 
been working in Zoom for years, you know, like most of my teams were like a designer in the UK, someone else over there. And, and it was, it was kind of like, I got quite happy because everybody came into my world and, and all my clients who had, would had loads of in real life stuff like workshops and whatever else conferences and stuff you know they they really came to me because they saw oh well, this is a person who's actually been working distributed um and i think for many of us who do that um it's been a lot easier obviously than than yeah. everybody else a uh, very important question what's your cat's name miss mustard explosion the cat all right <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> or or just kiss <laughs> uh, when i got her i put her picture on facebook uh when i was on facebook feels like so long ago um and i said what should her name be and i got some suggestions i think my cousin wrote um siamap which is mustard in mm -hmm. swedish and another friend matt he wrote explosion um yeah. and then i was just like okay her name is miss mustard explosion the cat <laughs> and she has a passport because she came with me from the uk oh. so it's uh it's real wow wow <laughs> and the reason for the mustard is because she's um a tortoiseshell she's a calico you know three colored mm -hmm. cat and it looks like she's a white cat that's been dipped in dijun uh -huh. mm. yeah yeah <laughs> she's lovely she's a little lady she's 10 years old this year <laughs> we actually we we took the whole day off and had a a 10 year old cat's yeah. cat party mm -hmm. what was the cake um, I baked scones, um, but we did have lots of cat sweets. We had cat balloons, mm -hmm. we had cat masks, <laughs> and it was only yeah. me, my husband, and the cat sitter because it was during the pandemic. Uh -huh. um, and the cat all on on the couch and uh, drinking champagne. And Sounds lovely. But but I, I I would also say I really like dogs. And and I have done a dog exhibition as well, so you know just to. Please, you know, listeners, cats and dogs, they're both great. They're just different. Yes, we are, we are pet friendly on this podcast. Yes. I mean, I'd love to have a pet cow. <laughs> you need the space for that, though, huh? You can have one of those mini ones, the mini fluffy ones. Yeah. Have you seen, have you seen all those videos when, you know, they're hugging, cuddling little cows? I've seen a mini pig, at least, but I'm not sure about yeah. the mini cow. Ah, uh, you got some YouTubing to do today, Angelos. Yeah, we, we're going to have to put a link on the notes for everyone else. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Jenny's dream cow. I'll send you something. <laughs> Eve, do you have any questions in mind? Uh, yeah, we're, we're having a bit of a laugh here, but I had a serious thing going on before, like about five minutes ago. Mm. I was just thinking about the whole communicating, you know, and the, the divide between the personal and the private and the business life and... There are certain situations, and this is where I'm, I'm just wondering from your point of view, because you're so, you've been dealing with that kind of stuff a lot. And, and at least it sounds like this is, this is your design speciality in a way. There are cases where you have something in your personal life that you feel could affect um, your business life. Mm. You know, like a recent thing uh, that that happened in in the in Hollywood, for example, Chadwick Boseman. He had cancer for several years. Nobody knew about it, and people were at some point commenting on his weight loss and and you know like oh is he on drugs and things like that. And nobody knew about it, and um, I can imagine that a piece of information like that is very very sensitive to what happens in your career and things. Mm. Um, and another like example of very sensitive information still is if you want to get pregnant as a woman and what do you do with that so i'm just wondering about these very specific uh, sensitive things that happen in your life and how how do you go about that and how do you uh, advise people to look into that and yeah what, what is your perspective on that kind of thing well uh from my perspective first of all as a as a sole trader you know i've i only really have myself to be responsible for on on a business yeah. level which is good in these circumstances and bad i suppose you know it's not that i have a, a whole 20 employees and and mm -hmm. so i you know i can only really speak from my context but personal going dipping into private oversharing uh or not yeah. i actually shared this on twitter um in april mm -hmm. um my husband and i decided to do ivf yeah uh, and we went into the process and it was actually, it had been quite a long sort of stretch getting there, but when it happened, it went, it happened really, really quickly. Yeah. 
through doing that, I actually got very, very rare um, syndrome. Um, so my body reacted extremely badly towards the IVF yeah. treatment. And I got a thing called overstimulation syndrome. And only about 3% of IVF uh, women actually get this. Ended up in the, in the hospital. And during that time, I've probably never been busier work-wise. Oh, okay. Last spring, I had the biggest clients I'd had for years. I had really sort of influential yeah. case study type work. That's just like, mm, it was so, it was yeah. good. Fortunately, because the collaborators that I'd been working on, and also very rarely do I do a job on my own, like mm -hmm. I always have another person, knew both me and my background and my, you know, we know each other. But also I actually phoned up uh, one of the clients before going into IVF yeah. and mm -hmm. told her, we're going into IVF. Really nervous. Yeah. Like, oh my God, you know, we've just sold in this huge piece of business. And, <gasps> and what I got back was this, thrilling shouting oh my god the process of life you know <laughs> it's like how amazing and she was so happy so when I went into IVF I'd already decided to be open about this is coming and yeah. I don't know how I'm going to how it, what what's going to happen yeah um and then as it turned out I had to let all my my work go and my collaborators were yeah. there yeah. and we had already like things like pre-NDA uh, signed mm -hmm. with others like I'd done all and I'm so happy I did all that work because most of the time you kind of think well if I get sick I'll just deal with it then yeah yeah but if that would have been the case carnage yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and then you know um, with those clients I kept in contact with them and when I came out of hospital I checked in with them and at the end of the process yeah. I checked in with them you know this was just now this was just the gone spring that has prototyped kind of like the way that I want to work going forward yeah. like I want to be in a position where that that can happen and it's okay so again you know I'm going further away from production and more into programming and curating and, yeah. and team building and kicking off projects and stuff like that. But I can only speak from my perspective and I am very open and I'm a very transparent person. And when I opened up about it and I actually tweeted about it, there were so many women contacting me going yeah. either I'm just about to do IVF. I've never heard of ovarian uh, overstimulation syndrome. Um, and also all the people who have successfully done IVF. Um, fortunately for us, it worked and I am pregnant. Congrats. Congrats. And we'll be going off in January, hopefully, to do one of my biggest deliveries. <laughs> I, I think, you know, you be you. And if you're a very private individual, you know, I hope that you have at least a small group of people that you trust enough uh, to share the just the burden of knowledge yeah. with. Mm -hmm. It's been a little bit harder since then, like talking about it, having like a normal pregnancy because, you know, everybody knows now that, oh, it's really difficult. So I get a lot of like, how are you feeling? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's just like, I'm actually feeling quite good now. So <laughs> have someone you trust at work um, that can have your back as well. Because some of the some of the collaborators um, that I had at the time, you know, they, they were literally in writing, you know, like, Jenny, let it go. I got this. That's really nice. I don't, I don't want you to have to pay me any more than we agreed. You know, I went into this knowing fully well that you may disappear yep. at yep. some point. So I think transparency is the key, really. I, th I think this is a, it's, it's a big topic for people with this whole, uh, what, what to share and what not, um, the courage of being able to do that. And also, mm. you know, normalizing that things happen in life. Um, and that's not just for pregnancy and things, but also just disease mental disease or physical disease or whatever. Absolutely. And also be mindful that people have a different um, time span of problem solving yeah. and making decisions. I'm very much, if something happens, I'm like, okay, we need to do this, this and yeah. that. Whereas some friends and family, they need longer. They need longer to sort of digest what's happening and, exactly. and need to sit, reflect for however long. Yeah. Thank you very much for, for sharing that, that story. No, no worries. Yeah. No worries. <laughs> Do you read, Jenny? I, I do read. I very rarely, rarely read work-related books. Mm -hmm. um, yes, I only read trash. <laughs> <laughs> 
whatever gets you. I mean, you know. No, um, with with reading, I think I, I'm I'm quite a hyper person in terms of doing stuff. Mm-hmm. And actually, if you ever see me sitting with a book, then you know that I am like in peace. Okay. Because uh, I I mm-hmm. tend to read mostly on holidays and uh, weekends, very rarely yeah. during a normal working day. But in terms of um, other types of reading, of course I read. <laughs> But <laughs> but it's very very rarely uh, long form. Mm-hmm. Even when I was working as a designer, I would never Google. I'm not one of those persons who look for trends or read trends because mm-hmm. uh, a, a lot mm-hmm. of it had to do with I thought you know everything that was shared was stuff that's already been done before. So why would I want to do that? But I'm a slave for clickbait articles as well like i'm sure everybody else is and uh, fortunately i have enough you know slack channels and uh, social media accounts to to share my newfound knowledge so so what was your latest book then that you read in peace on the couch um i read uh where the crawdads sing it's actually quite quite a trendy book now people a lot of people have been reading it which is a very unusual book because for me because um, it's a, it's a drama mm-hmm. uh, about a young girl who uh, is pretty much an orphan and yeah. very very different to what I usually read, which is thrillers and you know kind of the the bloodier the better, <laughs> <laughs> the more gruesome the better. Yeah. Um, Kepler is one of my favorite. Mm-hmm. When I've been sick now, uh, I haven't really been reading that much as mm-hmm. of late. I think my biggest vice though like hobby wise is that I, I I'm a photographer as well mm-hmm. so I've um the uh, only during the pandemic I actually started my photography web I didn't have a website before and my sister-in-law is an interior designer uh, and she buys in art all the time and she's like I just need somewhere where I can just find all your photographs <laughs> so I can curate mm-hmm. them and buy and in just a year you know uh, I'm signed with a gallery uh, we're selling editions she's bought quite a few pieces of mine permanent exhibition in a, a restaurant a new restaurant that she's designed in Stockholm so that that's uh, more what I do to uh, spend sort of creative free time uh, mm-hmm. photography what, what kind of places or things or people like what do you like to capture I would say I'm one of those like classic sort of graphic designer turned photographer <laughs> Mm-hmm. You know, like it, there's a lot of uh, negative space. I think about layout quite a lot when I photograph. But um, when I do something specific, it's it tends to be quite conceptual. So I actually did a, a photography exhibition and illustration. We collaborated um, on agency mm-hmm. dogs. And I visited... I photographed 44 dogs in Stockholm. Mm-hmm. So I got a chance to visit all these creative offices nice. uh, without having to network. You know, I yeah, just yeah. came to photograph their dog and have a chat. It's amazing. <laughs> so portraits, um, dog portraits. Um, but other, other than that, it's mostly landscape, nature, city, mm-hmm. um, very much hip and shoot. Uh, no studio photography. I was going to say, do you have a 500 pixels um, account or something like that where people can actually see your photos? No, you can see them on my website, um, which is uh, Photo Studio Thielen. And then I've got like five, six on Unsplash that are quite commonly used. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, no, I just have I just have my website and my Instagram where you can see my pictures. And it's very much like I don't yeah. I, I spend some time doing like portraits for people, like professional shots for LinkedIn and stuff. But I stopped doing that. And now it's very, it's a lot more photo art. So if you see something you like yeah. and tell me a size, happy to get one printed for you. And also I did another collaboration with an Iranian artist during the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And it was a project we called it Borderless. And he's he's more of a, a paint artist. But what we decided to do was a collaboration where we wanted to show that you can you can do collaborate art in the pandemic, even though you know we're not meeting. So I sent him photographs and then he vandalized them with digital art. Mm-hmm. So we've got these series of uh, some nice pieces that we did together. Yeah. So I'm not particularly yeah. precious about my photography it's more it's more fun and artistic expression stuff it's awesome mm-hmm. do you have any favorite tools of the trade when it comes to photography what do you shoot with i shoot with an olympus pen f and i would say my favorite tool is natural light so i don't i don't use any lighting i don't use any flash uh, it's all natural light uh, in my photography and then i tend to do minimal 
uh, retouching so i i only really mm -hmm. use photoshop it's not any of these like high photoshop type imagery it's i'm trying to keep it as natural as possible but it's mm -hmm. it's often quite colorful yeah. like it's often quite like rich uh, in color subject matter wise you use reflection at all uh, when, when you're trying to capture things from different angles or oh yeah sure i'm talking myself up so much as a photographer if you like my photos you like my photos <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. just need to get out more now though i've got I, I can go out walking now again so hopefully there'll be some more we're going to take a break and when we're back we're going to continue with the story of this podcast episode hey angelos here and i would like to talk to you about how you can support us what we do is free to consume but not free to create if you would consider joining our patreon all you have to do is go to patreon.com slash jointfrontiers and become a patron for 4 euros or 4.90 in US dollars per month. You will get early access to articles and podcast episodes, an invite to our Slack community, your name and title at the website in the about page and shout out in a future podcast episode, a chance to shape up our community, and exclusive behind the scenes content. If the idea of a monthly or a yearly subscription is not your thing, you can visit jointfrontiers.com support, where you can make single-time donations through PayPal or buy us a coffee. Welcome back. We're continuing on the last segment where we are sharing stories and resources that are interesting. And today we're going to be switching it up a little bit. And Jenny here is going to be opening up a bit about toolbox toolbox and perhaps a bit more about what she's doing to educate people yes so toolbox toolbox um a few years ago i worked at hyper island which is a, a digital school and i was leading the um, ma well a ma a part-time ma in digital management and a lot of that work had to do with uh, not only sort of uh, working on subjects that were current and relevant like innovation and design thinking and digital technologies but a lot of it had to do with how we work uh, and also uh, Hyper Island's uh, toolbox is uh, quite a renowned toolbox. Um, they share a lot of information on, on how we work together. And what I found so fascinating was uh, a lot of the MA submissions, they obviously had to be academically underpinned. And as we all know, this research is very much ongoing, especially, you know, on, on digital technologies and AI. And there is not yeah. that much research on this. It's not like researching management, for example. So... I found it really, really interesting, all this sort of um, organizational design and transformation. I mean, I was in that world uh, for many years, and that's currently in my world. And Toolbox Toolbox started off yeah. in the beginning as a little bit of a joke. <laughs> Not as lolcat, but it started off as I... I was mm -hmm. so, I love Hyper Island. I love Hyper Island's toolbox. And there's a lot of talk and chat around it. But I think there must be other toolboxes out there. Why am I not looking at other toolboxes? So I gave myself sort of a challenge mm -hmm. to see you know, how many toolboxes can I find that are mm -hmm. not necessarily similar, but within, you know, design, organizational business. Um, so I, I created this list more of us as, as a statement to say, wow, there is so much out there. There's so much help. Yeah. Um, and there's so many companies offering a free sort of insight in how they work and what their best practices and their recipes for success. So I did just a, a blog on it. And then I put that out there and a lot of people got really interested. Uh, and they started obviously sharing it and stuff. Uh, and then I wrote on Twitter, I think it was, I said, is, is there anybody who would like to help me uh, create a website? Uh, based on this list and um, Steve Thomas who's on our team he put his hand up and he said oh I'll help you I was like oh great so Sunday I had Steve and he was uh, coding a, uh, a website and then we put the list on there and at the time maybe there's like 20 25 toolboxes and also a submission yeah it was, was co-curated um, and then because what I did was very lazy I was just copy and pasting uh, information from the other toolboxes as my content. Um, Jim Raleigh, a, a friend and, and collaborator, he 
contacted me and said, do, don't you need someone to edit these? I'm like, yes, I do, <laughs> because they're not edited at all. He's like, I can come and help. So he came on board and helped. Uh, and since then, we've had this sort of a team that's been like an accordion, depending on all yeah. the activities that we've done. And Toolbox Toolbox have become this, it's a list, it's an archive, uh, mm -hmm. and it's very much so far just a place for exploration. So it's just little things like the next time when you refresh, you know, it's a different list that comes up. We have, as it's a pro bono project, we have also done initiatives mm -hmm. that have specifically interested the team. So for example, with Jim, apart from the, the editorial side, we started this Unbox series uh, on YouTube. We only did three episodes, but we invited mm -hmm. Toolbox creators to come and talk about their toolbox. And through that, we spoke to, we spoke to IDEO, we spoke to Ellen MacArthur Foundation, we spoke to uh, Noble Academy and Impossible uh, and a few others. And that was really interesting uh, just to, to listen yeah. why and how they've come to where where they're at yeah. and then with the others who have sort of come on board since then you know there's been that um and then there's been some co-curated medium pieces but as it stands it is a list mm -hmm. of toolboxes basically you know and from my perspective as a facilitator and working a lot with these tools yeah. you know sometimes i do get the odd email asking for help you know, like, oh, we need to, we need to do this workshop or we need to do this sprint or we need to, we need to redesign the whole business. Have you got any good suggestions for us? Yeah. But it's not monetized in any way. You know, there's no business behind Toolbox Toolbox. It is literally, you know, by the people for the people. And, and currently we're looking at uh, doing guest curations on it. And we have a few in the pipeline yeah. looking at sort of very specific subjects. And I'm doing one myself together with um, my teammate, Osa. We're going to try and compile sort of the, the biggest and best hybrid toolbox toolbox. So we're, we're curating all that buzzwords, you know, you got to jump on them. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but what's really fascinating is that the website got picked up by uh, UK Gov, uh, the government in the UK. I got this email going, you know, we see your website as a critical resource for our, you know, um, support, supporting others in the pandemic transformation. And, you know, when you get receipts like that, you're like, wow, you know, this is being useful. <laughs> um, but it's, it's a pure passion and interest in how we work um, in various constellations. Yeah. Nice. Hey, I'm going to actually plug myself here because I'm, I'm very uh, flattered to see this COVID Finland toolkit is among your favorites in 2020. I, I didn't know until now. Oh, my God. Uh-huh. Yes, thank you, thank you. <laughs> my pleasure, my pleasure. <laughs> it was a very good one. And it was also very innovative because, well, it was different because it was Trello, right? Yeah. And actually, what I really like are these toolboxes that, you know, they're not, they don't have to be like super bespoke, designed, flashy. Mm. It's like use a tool that's easy to share and easy to collaborate on and easy to, to use and use that. Like, you know, the, the, the whole web, the website started off just as a Google Docs, you know, it's mm -hmm. like, mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be so, so designed when it's yeah. something like this. Yeah. And that was also my, my take on that is like, I, I wanted to, to put a few things there uh, that I can put in a very low effort whenever I can, or whenever someone shares something that I find interesting. And so, for example, if I'm sitting at the couch in the night and I see something, I can just like put it there without having to necessarily log into my computer and like design something and so on. And I agree that, you know, use whatever tool is convenient to use as long as it conveys information that is useful to people. Yeah. I mean, what we would really like to know and, and, uh, and, and that would um, mean a, a bigger investment from us mm -hmm. as a team is, you know, we have, we have no idea what happens after someone identifies a toolbox that they find interesting. Yeah. I've done workshops where I've actually got like a whole class to go into Toolbox Toolbox and identify toolboxes or even a tool or, or a, a concept to then present back to the rest of the class to kind of use it as a learning experience and and a sharing, shared knowledge experience. But yeah, you know, we would love to see it because mm. my devil's advocate and my little sort of the cynical critical thinking Jenny is very much, you know, a lot of companies will have a toolbox on their website for more, yep. its marketing. 
It's pure marketing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but when we then speak to those companies, and we have done with some of them, like uh, the talk we have with Lauren Curie um, from Noble. Well, she was Noble, she's not anymore. But with their toolbox, you know, she was saying that by us designing and creating this content, also publicly, by us just doing that has mm-hmm. made us better yeah. at our job in using yeah, it. Yeah. So, you know, there's a lot of underneath uh, stuff. Um, and then yes. another thing that's worth point out about Toolbox Toolbox is we try and avoid sharing any toolboxes or any content that you have to buy or you have of to course, have a license. Right. Yeah, yeah. You have to, so it's, it's all, it's open source and it's there mostly for inspiration. Mm-hmm. But like I said, like anyone who's interested in this stuff and like has an idea of what can be done with Toolbox Toolbox, I'm all ears because it has changed with how people have perceived it. Mm-hmm. So there's been various of collaborations and, and ideas going in there. Yeah. I don't know if you, Jenny, know, but one of our uh, speakers at Joint Futures in 2019 is also a person who is in your uh, team, Egle. Yes, and she is my ex-student <laughs> as well. Uh-huh. Yeah, I met. She did the MA um, that I was leading, and she came on board with Toolbox um, from a community and UX perspective. And she's done mm-hmm. a course recently at Hyper Island where she brought Toolbox Toolbox in as her sort of uh, a, a business to experiment on to look at. Yeah. from a ux perspective yeah she's she's a, she's a good friend small world yeah. <laughs> it's a small world it's a small but we know loads of people together <laughs> yeah think. yeah actually also lauren happened to come to finland uh with her family at some point well there you go yeah there you go and and you know from from our extended community because i used to be in a group of humans as well oh yeah i don't know if you're familiar yeah. with a group of humans Yes. Um, and a lot of a lot of the a lot of the humans have been involved with joint features as well, I think. That's true. Yep. Yep. <laughs> it's a small world. It's a really small world. Yeah. <laughs> but yes, yeah, oh, so you were mentioning more about the educational aspect of how to get toolbox toolbox maybe involved in, in education? Um, yes, yes and no. I, I think it's more, you know, Toolbox Toolbox has, has been part of uh, my learning journey and, you know, the work that I do today has got nothing to do with cats on the internet, although sometimes maybe on Slack. But it's very much all the work that I do today is working with uh, most organizations and designing learning experiences. Okay. So this could be anything from, you know, training in different ways of working mm-hmm. to producing a conference that's not your standard yep. conference that is a learning experience conference. The love for Toolbox Toolbox has sort of come about from that because when I research for, for the site or if I, I sit with the editorial, which I do sometimes, you know, I learn so much by doing that project and it really helps me as a marketing mm-hmm. tool as well. Like mm-hmm. when I speak with with my clients and they could be, you know, anything from really big corporates to smaller gaming companies. And, you know, I get this, what, what, Toolbox Toolbox, you did that? It's like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's a fun yeah. uh, topic. Um, and also it it's helpful uh, for others, you know, when you go into a new project or when you're building your new team and uh, um you haven't had the experience to test a lot of different methods on Toolbox Toolbox. Let's have a look for like team canvases and ways of onboarding people and see if maybe we do it in a different way and test that and see if that works for us instead of just going, oh, we tried this thing once and it didn't work and it was shit. So we're not going to, we're not going to put any time Mm -hmm. towards it. Yeah. You know, I really suggest to, to go look in there. Anytime that you want to design a process, um, it's a good place to look at stuff to get yeah, inspiration sure. to do things a little yeah. bit differently. Apart from my amazing resource, of course, um, what is currently one of your favorite toolbox uh, in the kit in the in the website? Apart from the Finland <laughs> yeah. one, yeah, of course. <laughs> you know, that's number one. <laughs> one toolbox outside of Hyper Island's toolbox that I really like is the Session Labs one mm-hmm. you know they they have a, a a good product if you're not familiar with session lab but they, they've also got a really nice sort of aggregator part of their website where they bring in lots of tools from other places mm-hmm. i like 
toolboxes that have this plethora and variety. Mm-hmm. I don't like toolboxes that are too much, you know, step one, step two, step three, this is what you have to do. Yeah. I like the the more sort of empathetic and su- suggestive ones. Yeah. But there isn't one that's like, this is the one. Right. For example, now when I'm doing the curation for hybrid, I started off with Googling things like onboarding, reboarding, mm-hmm. yeah. back to work, hybrid office, you know, all the standard stuff. And after a while, I realized, oh my God, there is so much outside of yeah. those that are applicable. And we had the um, suicide prevention day the, mm-hmm. the other day, like, you know, you have international days and, and I saw some really nice pieces of work about um, nonviolent yeah. communication and psychological mm-hmm. safety. And it's like, oh my God, these toolboxes are just as or even yeah. more relevant than this is your three-step process to coming back yeah. to work. It's like, no, what, what about like, how to ask people how they're doing. What about the fact that mentally and psychologically we've been through a really tough two years? Like how are you going to reboard everyone from that perspective? So I think looking at trying not to be so specific when you're searching for a way of doing things and actually trying to open up a little bit more. That's that's what I enjoy doing um, and get inspiration from. We spoke with Kwame at Impossible. This was, again, years ago now, before Mm -hmm. the pandemic. But um, they're really into the planet-centric design work. They had started this, again, it's years ago, and there's a lot of other people and initiatives who are are taking that on more. I enjoyed that because it it got me thinking as well. It's like, okay, you know, Mm -hmm. after I spoke to the design thinking is bullshit duo as well, just like, I I want all the perspectives. you know, everything is evolving. Yeah, yeah. Design thinking isn't bad in terms of like a methodology, but uh, but maybe what is missing perhaps is that it's too white, for example, uh, in its perspectives. And now mm. it has served us, well, white people at least, you know, for a while, but now it's time to rethink of it as well and try to find uh, even alternative ways of, of that. Absolutely. And I encourage anyone you know, whether you're a student and you're about to take a design thinking course or a workshop in it or something to really do your your critical research um, and also Mm -hmm. look at, you know, what the design council is doing in terms of progressing it. Because now, you know, now it's the double diamond is called, what is it? Framework for innovation. Mm -hmm. You know, Mm -hmm. they are pushing it as well. And, you know, the last thing a practitioner or a, a teacher, an educator could do should do is dumb it down because i see that too often as well like it's dumbed down to the point of you know oh the design thinking equals double diamond equals great for coming Mm -mm. up with ideas yeah Mm. Uh, so yeah i would really encourage critical thinking with uh with design thinking having said that though like any sort of design culture design leadership design org stuff all for it I would just um, don't be so closed off in whatever you read is gospel. Of course. Like, exactly. Think for, think for yourselves. The whole idea of that all of these things are just tools to support you in, in the bigger mission of, of figuring stuff out properly. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And now I'm just, I think, you know, I'm interested in, in helping, you know, inspire and encourage happiness at work. Um, and I think it really does come down to having a lifestyle and a work style that you are happy in yeah and uh, and figuring that out as a team as a business as an organization i don't know maybe i just see too much misery around (laughs) i just (laughs) want people to be happy (laughs) my two of my very first words as a baby were in swedish uh, good friends I have one one question, which I've been kind of also asking other guests. So you, you've come this far in your growth and the development of yourself, let's say. And it's always interesting to hear, like, what is your vision on, on any big goals or big things that you're working on or an ideal future? Or, you know, what direction do you want to go with your kind of personal development growth? Or what is your next big thing that you want to work on? Or, you know... What's on the horizon for you? Hmm. Um, apart from becoming a mother mm, for the first yeah, time, yeah. which is kind of <laughs> big, I've come to some sort of epiphanies the past six months. Some of them being I'm not very good at long-term planning. 
mm-hmm. and that is you know partly because of my my upbringing mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. always changing um but the flip side and the strength of that is um that i thrive on change uh, i thrive on on things not being the same so i hope i don't suddenly realize oh this is exactly what i want to do or what i want to achieve in the next mm-hmm. 10 years um i hope i can keep the sentiment of having a sense of mysticism mm. around what i do like i always look at my career as a mix of yeah. boundaries you know like what are my boundaries in terms of health in terms of family in terms of uh my priorities yeah. like what are the things that i'm currently extremely interested in like last year uh one of those things was creating a community for design yeah. educators uh which i did which um angelos you're part i don't know if uh, even if you're in it if not you should come up <laughs> with the priorities also you know in the back of my head i tend to have an end date i tend to look at okay this is something that isn't going to be i know this is not going to last forever so what can i do to the best of my abilities during the time i have with this idea or concept um and the third one being mysticism that i don't really know what's going to happen uh in a year from now So you know currently I'm in the middle of uh some new projects and some new new collaborations coming up. I am very interested in uh the planet centric design and and also system design. Uh I am interested in that and also from a a personal level like I'm I'm vegan. I have, you know, certain principles and beliefs that I'm pretty, you know, mm-hmm. headstrong about. <laughs> But I think, you know, in terms of my my mission, it's more being available to others and and helping others through through it whether it's a pandemic or whether it's um you know someone juggling IVF and uh, and their horrible boss yeah. so i'm very much more of a a serving person than um you know i i want this mm. Jenny it has been a great pleasure to get to talk to you in person like we have been interacting here and there but um good to finally put a live face well live yeah online face <laughs> to to you and kind of like get to know a little bit about who you are and why you are the way you are so thanks Same. for opening up and um and teaching us also a lot of things about uh, you know um what should we be doing as professionals as well and what we should be encouraging also other people to do thank you very much it's actually you know opportunities like this that uh make you think a little bit more about yourself and why you do what you do and and um mm-hmm. and it's it's fascinating and really interesting and um so thank you very much for for listening uh to me it was great thank you very much yeah thank you yes did we want to plug anything before we end our session i mean uh first of all you know if you if you work in design uh and education whether you're a a design uh industry leader or practitioner who want to do more teaching or whether you're working in academia and you you want a more real world um approach uh there is the design education community mm-hmm. which i guess we can just put the link in the in the show notes yeah and uh it's very open we we've got about 580 or so in there from 18 time zones wow. so wow. people all over the world uh so that's one thing um but then yeah i mean you you find me in google my name and you'll find loads of random stuff and uh, enjoy <laughs> yeah <laughs> you awesome. know what? i have to, i have to every time someone phones me uh, if someone emails me it's easier but every time someone phones me i always have to ask if you were to email which email address would you have <laughs> yeah. used because i think i've got about five uh-huh. six different mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. emails you know i've got tools yeah. toolworks and design education you know so um It's a yeah, a gamble. Uh, it's yeah. more fun to google my name than for me to give you go to just one website, I think. <laughs> Thank you very much everyone for tuning in and be sure to check our articles also on jointfrontiers.com and of course we're going to be putting in our show notes all the links uh, that we can uh, find and remember uh, toolbox toolbox and so on from from this talk so you can also check them out. So, have a good one. Thank you. Bye. Bye.